Hey, this is Lee. You're about to hear roughly 90 minutes of college football predictions, ranging from OU to the Big 12 and, of course, the nation as a whole. Before we start the show, one major note. This episode was recorded before the announcement of Kyler Murray as the starting quarterback, although Grant and I do the podcast basically under the assumption that he was going to be the guy, just like we and everybody else has done for months. That's my one note. So without further ado, here's, well, me with the opening take. Here we are, game week, finally. In just five days, the Sooners begin their season against FAU on Owen Field, And guess what? Well, as we record this podcast, Grant and I still have more than just five days before game number one. Yes, we're recording this podcast early, before Grant's European honeymoon. We're sitting here together in Minneapolis on the morning of his wedding, August 17th. Here's the deal, though. Even though you're hearing this podcast 10 days after the original recording, we don't think the information should feel dated. After all, This is our big OU slash college football season preview episode, and barring any unforeseen injuries or breaking news between now and August 27th, you should be able to hold all of us accountable on these predictions. So without further ado, let's do this. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. First down and 10. There's Whaley's trying to stretch it out for another huge game. Whaley, touchdown, Oklahoma, 64 yards. And folks, Bevo can't stand to watch it anymore. He has flat turned his back on the horns and says, that's enough of that stuff. Holy Toledo. Dom Whaley welcomes us into this special season preview edition of West of Everest. His 64-yard touchdown run against Texas helped the Sooners go on to destroy the Longhorns 55-17 back in October of 2011. Hey everyone, once again, welcome to the show. Grant will join me here in a moment for our massive season preview podcast. But real quick, just a reminder to please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes if you have not already. Also, leave a rating and or a review if you've got a minute or two. We appreciate all the feedback from all you listeners out there. Also, the show is available on SoundCloud if you prefer that to iTunes. And, of course, feel free to like us on Facebook. We are at West of Everest on Facebook. Or you can go into Google, search West of Everest Facebook, and we should pop up there in the Google search. So just a quick intro today because we've got a lot to cover. And I remember this uh, last year was a pretty fun podcast to record, so pretty pumped to do it again for a new college football season. We'll bring Grant back in now, and uh, you were telling me earlier that you were looking back at some of our predictions from uh, last season. Is that correct? Not good, Lee. Not good, at least for some of them. Some of them we kind of nailed. Some of them, now that I'm looking back at it again, we, I mean, we, we definitely kind of, we had some misses on some for sure. Just for instance... Uh, you know, you were really high on Marcellus Sutton. You said that he was going to be, you know, the leading, uh, the leading rusher. He was also my uh, my number one sleeper pick on offense as well, Lee. And we also both picked Jeff Bidette to be the leading receiver. We both picked Caleb Kelly to be the leading tackler. There was some stuff that we were way off on. On our defense, though, that was some tough stuff last year. Even though the Jeff Bidette thing, looking back, was probably not very smart considering he was brand new to the program, but. We didn't know how uh, how impactful C.D. Lamb and Marquise Brown would be. I mean, I was high on Brown, but uh, leading receiver did not see that one coming. 
Yeah, that um, was your yeah, yeah. Brown was your uh, was your sleeper impact guy on offense. So you obviously just nailed that. Um, I want to bring up another one, Lee, that that you didn't quite nail, and one that I did nail. Uh, this goes to the Big 12. Which team in the Big 12 will be better than people think was the question. Lee, you said Kansas. Yeah, that I, was bad. I said Iowa State, but also I'm looking here at my reasoning, and I was mentioning Jacob Park as one of the reasons, and so I guess you can give me kind of half credit on that one. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I mean, we went over all these, I believe, after the season ended, kind of in January or February, so if you want to really hear all of our predictions and how they went, Go back, let's uh, listen to the old podcasts. Somewhere in January or February, we went we went over all of them. Uh, went over the best predictions, worst predictions, kind of the eh predictions. So it was really fun, and so we'll uh, we'll see how we do this year. Uh, we have a lot more information on, when it comes to Oklahoma this season than we did this time last year, as far as who's going to play where and, and who's going to start. So that's good. Uh, let's jump right in. So we've taken away some of the categories because it was kind of obvious some of the things. Um, for example, Oklahoma's leading rusher, I think it's pretty clear that both of us would predict Rodney Anderson. He's the bell cow back. Uh, you know, Trey Sermon's there, but uh, it would be kind of you're trying to be different if you select Sermon or anybody else. So is that fair to say, Grant, that Rodney Anderson, that that's a category that we can just skip over? Yeah, very, very much so. I, I don't I mean, barring, like you said, any sort of injury, there's I mean, yeah, he, he's going to be the guy, obviously. All right. So we'll just skip over that one. So we'll get to. Uh, the, the first category, and we're doing Oklahoma first. We're doing individual predictions, kind of like we did last season. Uh, leading wide receiver, or not wide receiver, leading receiver, uh, leading tackler, the sacks leader. And honestly, for individual stuff, that's all we're going to do uh, statistics-wise. And then we're going to get into more offensive and defensive predictions, like who's going to be the most important offensive player, most important player on defense, uh, sleepers on offense and defense, freshmen that could impact each side of the football. And then as far as Oklahoma's schedule goes, identifying the trap game on OU's schedule. And then we will predict Oklahoma's final regular season record. And then after that, we'll do some Big 12 predictions and some national college football predictions. So that's a quick roll rundown of what to expect on the show coming up. Without any further ado, though, let's jump right in. Let's start with Oklahoma's leading receiver this season, and uh, let's see who should go first. Since uh, since uh, you know, did we both predict predict Bidette last year? Is that what you said? Yeah, we both did. So we both kind of got that wrong. So uh, since I'm talking now, I'll just go ahead and start and transition into the leading receiver. And uh, for me, it's obviously a toss-up between C.D. Lamb and Marquise Brown, and it'll likely come down to a few things. Rapport with the quarterback, matchups, and then health, of course. Uh, I could see either one of these guys leading in catches and yards or one or the other. Um, you know, Since we have to make a prediction, I'm going to lean towards Marquise Brown to lead in both categories, both catches and both receiving yards. Uh, he had 11 more grabs than Lamb a season ago. He had almost 300 more receiving yards than C.D. Lamb. Uh, I didn't realize it was that big of a difference until I, I double-checked and looked it up. Um, at the same time, though, I will say I think Lamb is a better pro prospect than Marquise Brown just based on sheer measurables. I think he's got a great NFL body, although I'd like him to be at least an inch taller. Right now, Lamb listed at 6'2", 189, but uh, I think he's a guy who can play a little bit bigger than, than his frame. Uh, so I, th I think that's that's my call. I'll go with Marquise Brown. And um, just uh, it's worth noting that last year, Mar uh, Mark Andrews led the team in receptions, 
but Marquise Brown led the team in receiving yards. So I'll let you attack this category however you'd like to attack it, Grant. Yeah, Lee, I'm going to go with Hollywood as well. Um, I, I it, like not a knock on CD at all. I, I think CD is actually a more talented player. I think he's a better pro prospect. Um, CD is actually just at this point in his career, he's just more of a possession receiver. I think in this offense, which is good. It's fine. Um, I just think I think Hollywood is going to get a little more uh, opportunities behind the line of scrimmage, bubble screens, and whatnot. And that's not to say that CD won't either. You know, he I mean he had at least ten of those last year, and he's pretty shifty as well. Um, but no, I, I think I think Hollywood is going to be the number two guy in this offense behind Rodney, probably in terms of skill positions. I made a note here, my uh, my list here as well that Grant Calcaterra also has a chance to catch a lot of passes this season, even with uh, you know Andrews being gone. You think who's going to step in for the tight end role? And Calcaterra is going to be a sophomore, and he didn't have as much playing time obviously as Andrews last season, but. He was featured quite a bit in that spring game. It really seemed like Oklahoma was trying to get him the football quite a bit. Had that touchdown catch from Austin Kendall. Calcaterra is going to be a big part of this offense this season. And uh, although I'm not going to predict it, uh, would it would it shock you if Calcaterra caught 50 to 60 passes this season? It wouldn't shock me, but I would be very pleasantly surprised. Um, that mm. would mean that he really did take on that Mark Andrews role. And that, of course, that would be positive. But yeah, I mean, you're right. Uh, you know, Grant Calcaterra is going to be a huge part of this offense. Um, I, I mean, I, I think you can just kind of you can you can take the four guys I think right now who are going to lead the team in catches. You know, with Hollywood, CD, Calcaterra, and then I think the last guy is going to be Rodney, probably. Okay. So that's the leading receiver. Let's move over to the defensive side quickly for the next category, which is who's going to be the leading tackler on this team and uh, since I started with the last category I'll let you begin with this one yeah Lee I'm gonna go with Kenneth Murray um, and I almost went with Caleb Kelly uh, just because you know he's, he's in Emmanuel Beal spot now and Emmanuel Beal led the team in tackles last year um, but I'm, I'm gonna hop on the Murray train I, I said a few shows ago that you know there's there's one guy I just go all in shamelessly on every year um, and I decided it's, it's gonna be Murray um, because kind of he's you know he's gonna be the heart and soul of the defense and I think uh, you know if they're going to have a good season, Murray's got to have a good season. So I'm just going to go with him here, Lee. Yeah, of course, this is normally a linebacker, but uh, I'd say there is a chance that Buki can be in this discussion based on what we know right now. However, I will play it safe with my prediction, and like you, I will go with Kenneth Murray. Uh, either he's going to be improved a lot from last season or he's not going to be. And I'll lean towards the former just because I think his experience last year is pretty important because that's a lot of tape of himself watching himself, making mistakes that he'll be able to watch back and, and learn from. We know that Murray is a player who enjoys the film room, going back, watching film. So I'll go with Kenneth Murray to lead the team in tackles. And um, it's worth pointing out that last year he was second on the team in tackles behind uh, Emmanuel Beal. So Kenneth Murray, I think, is the smart prediction even though I do think you made a good point earlier with Caleb Kelly considering that Kelly's going to be playing the same spot as Emmanuel Beal this upcoming year and of course Beal led the team in tackles a season ago and I think it's you can't argue that Caleb Kelly's a more talented player than Emmanuel Beal absolutely and I, I I like that you bring up Buki and that's actually not outlandish to think that um, especially if he is going to assume kind of that Tony Jefferson type role Tony Jefferson led this team in tackles I for like two seasons I think so it's not out of the realm of possibility all right, next up, we're going to stick with the defense. Let's go with who's going to be the leader in sacks this season. And I think this is an interesting category because it's been pretty easy the last – would you say it's been easy the last couple of years with Oboe? Or oh, yeah. even more yeah, than that? Yeah, I think, yeah, that was kind of the obvious. This Lee, this year's tough. I don't think there's any obvious 
you know, choice here. All right, so I'll uh, I'll go first with this one with my prediction since you went first uh, with the last category. You know, speaking of Oboe, he had eight sacks last season, and of all the players returning uh, on the OU defense this year, Kenneth Mann had the most sacks in 2017. He had five, and uh, Mann even had more sacks than DJ Ward, who was the starting defensive end. Ward had four and a half sacks, so I mean about the same, but half sack more for Kenneth Mann. Uh, my question uh, that you got to ask is how are they going to utilize the jack position this year? Is it going to be the same as they have with Oboe where they want that guy to rush quite a bit off the edge? And if so, I think the prediction is going to be Addison Gums. He might be the sacks guy. But if they're choosing not to use that jack position quite like a, a you know basically a, a defensive end type pass rusher all the time a lot like they use with Oboe, um, I'd say you know, like what about in this, you know what about a player like Buki? Because if he's in if he's in nickel a lot, he he might be asked to blitz quite a bit. Uh, he he rushed the pass or he blitzed a decent amount during the spring game when he was lining up in strong safety or nickelback. Uh, or you know you could go with Amani Bledsoe. You know he's got a lot of talent. He's uh, he's mainly inside though, which in this Oklahoma defense it's difficult for those players to get to the quarterback because. Uh, you know, as you and I have learned, Grant, you know, looking more into the system and the three-four, they're constantly asked to play a two-gap technique, which is a lot more of a read and react strategy than more of a bull rush strategy. Uh, I know I'm going over a lot of players right now. I'm getting to the point, though. So I, I think if these are all the options, I'm going to actually go with the veteran player. I'm going to say Amani Bledsoe somehow finds a way to lead this team in sacks this season. What about you, Grant? Yeah, so I, I mean, I, this one's really interesting because there's not a dominant one-on-one pass rusher on this team yet, or at least that we know of. Um, you know, so I do hope they start to generate more pressures. You know, sending sending extra men more often, stuff like that. And I think you're going to see a guy, you know, whoever leads this team in sacks. I don't think it's going to be a huge number. I think you're going to see someone, you know, with like six or seven sacks as the team lead, and you know, a bunch of guys with three here and four there. Um, at least that's you know that's kind of what I'm expecting. Um, and so I'm actually going to go with Kenneth Mann because I, I just I don't who else am I going to go with? I think he's the one uh, that is just he is a pass rusher and he's going to be starting now. Um, you know more snaps. He was productive last year and you know everyone knows my opinions on on Kenneth Mann. You know I'm not super high on Kenneth Mann. I really really hope he proves me wrong uh, just because he seems like a hard worker. He seems like a good Sooner. Um, you know all the talk from fall camp out of him has been nothing but positive. Um, so I'm going to go with him, uh, just because I, I just I don't think there's a better choice as of now. I'd like to go with whoever they're going to plug into that Jack position, but I, I just I don't know how they're going to use it yet this year. And I really do think Addison Gums, um, when he is in that Jack position, is going to be used more as kind of like a traditional defensive end. I think he might be more of a, a set the edge guy uh, rather than a twitchy pass rusher. I think that's more that's more Mark Jackson and that's more uh, Jakairi Daly. I think. So going with Kenneth Mann, uh, which makes sense considering he's the the returner with the most sacks from a season ago, and uh, I hope he has a good season. I, you know, I like Kenneth Mann quite a bit. I think he's a nice player, and I think he's earned some more playing time, and I think he's going to have earned that starting spot now that DJ Ward is out of the program. Kenneth Mann uh, ha- has a great motor. I mean, that is that is always valuable. So those are the statistic based predictions in regards to Oklahoma players that we will be discussing today. We have a lot more individual type predictions to make as far as Oklahoma goes, and we'll continue on with the most important. Actually, you know what? 
I'm going to stop myself real quick. I had this question written down just just to maybe maybe this will create a little bit of a discussion. You know, is what if they ask Kenneth Murray and Caleb Kelly to blitz more this season? Like, I, I mean, hope so. That, that would be. I mean, because then they'd be guys that could easily have the most sacks if all of a sudden they're. I almost went with. I almost went with Murray. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just because, like, I kept Roquan Smith led Georgia in sacks last year, and he used to like they did that kind of delayed blitz up the middle all the time. That thing they is, did, yeah, yeah, yeah. That thing is that thing's deadly, and I, I hope they kind of steal that. All right, yeah. I mean, so I don't have much to add. I just kind of wanted to pose that question to you to see what you had to say. So, I mean, that would be that would mean that Oklahoma's defense uh, defensive strategy this season is a lot more aggressive than what we've seen in recent memory. All right, most important offensive player and you have a couple notes in here in the rundown uh, so you want to do it uh, besides the quarterback is that right yeah because I think it's obviously Kyler Murray right yeah well that's yeah that's what my answer is going to be because so. I mean he's he's going to be like he's the difference between a national title contender and just a big 12 championship contender you know so I mean he's obviously the most important I think like this may sound weird but I, I mean I, I think they can win the big 12 just handing the ball to Rodney Anderson uh, they they probably can't they probably can't win the national championship doing that. Mm. I uh, I disagree with the theory that it's difference between national champion and, and what was the other one just a Big Twelve champion. Just a or contend- something? I said national contender. championship contender. Yeah, because for me, yeah, I was going to say Kyler Murray because he's going to be the starting quarterback. Uh, but if for some random reason he's not the starting quarterback, then my answer changes to Austin Kendall because I think Oklahoma could be a national title contender with both of those guys, depending on who's who wants a job yeah I think so, they could you know barring yeah. what they look like um yeah and so I, I guess I'll just I'll have that qualifier there and so to answer your question it, it's Kyler Murray is the most important offensive player uh but if we're removing the quarterback from the equation then I, I think it's Rodney Anderson I agree and I have some reasoning to back it up but first I want to talk about the quarterback real quick because uh, obviously, neither one of those players is as good as Baker Mayfield. That goes without saying. But here's the thing. I think Lincoln Riley will ask whoever starts a quarterback to mimic Mayfield as much as possible. And and I don't mean like literally play and act like Baker Mayfield played and act for, for three years at Oklahoma. I mean play the position the way that Lincoln Riley knows it can be played within the structure of Lincoln Riley's offense. And that includes quick recognition of the defense knowing your first read, getting the ball out quickly if that's within the structure of the play, you know, going through, going through your progressions, staying calm, trusting your teammates, things like that, things we saw Baker Mayfield do at a high level for three years. And it's, it's no secret that average to poor quarterback play can easily derail an offense and derail a season. So uh, I don't think you would really disagree with any of that. Actually, maybe you would because I think that we have different ideas of how this offense will be, will be – uh, you know, utilized I, I, depending on who's the quarterback. I understand what you're saying. I think you're trying to say that Lincoln Riley has his quarterbacks play in a certain way, um, and and you think that it, it like Lincoln Riley's blueprint is going to be on both of these quarterbacks this season. I, is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, I like, think Lincoln Riley knows what a really good quarterback and really good quarterback play looks like, and I think that's what he wants to see from his quarterback. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, and I just want to throw it out there too. You know, I I think it's a completely fair question to question or uh, you know to question this team post Baker Mayfield. Um, I do just want to throw out there, Lincoln Riley is three for three developing quarterbacks. Um, even before Baker Mayfield, he developed uh, Shane Carden and Dominic Davis over at ECU into into really good college football players. So just want to throw that out there. It's it's significant. Well, that's good news. It's a nice pull. Uh, Shane Carden. Is that his name Shane Carden? Yeah, Shane Carden. Nice. 
C A R D E N, Carden. Uh, outside of the quarterback, uh, like I said, I, I agree. It's Rodney Anderson, and um, he needs to stay healthy. You know, if he plays a full season, his, his ability uh, his ability as a running back is just – and the reason why he's the most important player is that he'll be able to open up opportunities for other players on the team. Like, for example, if Anderson is running the ball well, uh, you know, perhaps the linebackers cheat up a little bit more often, which could open up that second level of the defense for a wide receiver or maybe like Grant Calcaterra. Uh, you know, it just – just think back to you know last year what Mayfield was able to do when he would drop in balls to Dimitri Flowers over the the, the linebacking core last year whenever they would cheat up a bit, uh, you know things like that. Those RPO type plays. Um, that's why Rodney Anderson can be so good. Is is people will be so scared of him breaking it off, and then it just opens things up for other players. So that's why he's he's so important because he affects other guys on the team. And he's not even the quarterback. Most important defensive player. Grant, I'll let you roll with this one. Lee, I'm going to cheat on this one. I'm sorry, but I have to do it. So I'm going to go Kenneth Murray slash Neville Gallimore. Um, you know, it's cheating, but it's true. These two guys in the middle, Lee, you know, these are the two guys that we've heard so much about since spring and how much they've uh, developed, how great they look. Kenneth Murray, heart and soul of the defense. Here's the thing. If these two guys have a good season, OU's defense will be good this year. How good? I don't know. But it will be good. And so I, I mean, it's it's very if, if they have a good season, this OU defense will be much improved and will probably, most likely, almost certainly be good if they are good this year. That's I just said the word good a lot. Did you predict Neville Gallimore is the most I important did. player defensive player last year too? Yeah. So here we go. P- come on, Neville. I, I, it might be one of those things that I just keep throwing out there every year until he proves me right. Uh, yeah, he's incredibly important because yeah, that position is so. Uh, it's just it's so needed within college football, just football in general. You need to have the big, talented guy up front to be able to to take up blocks, stop the run, and, and from time to time get a pass rush. Uh, I will not cheat on it. I will say uh, Kenneth Murray. I'll go with Murray, and uh, he's been the very vocal summer leader on this team. Uh, you know, talks about what his goals are. They're incredibly positive. He wants to be an All American, and and even more that I can't think of right now off the top of my head. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and he's talked about how much he's learned from last season. And, and at the same time, we've heard positive reviews from fall camp. And Lincoln Riley says he's a leader in that defensive room. You know, he's got all the skills to be a really good linebacker. Now we just got to see him do it. And, you know, I know there's been some pushback uh, by some people within the program saying that Murray was not as bad last season as we all outside the program perceived him to be. I know Caleb Kelly was quoted as saying, I think it was during Oklahoma's media day, that he mentioned that watching back a lot of tape from last year, bad things happened that weren't always Kenneth Murray's fault, but then Murray would then get blamed for it. And uh, first of all, did you did you hear about that? Did you hear that you know they were trying to defend Kenneth Murray? And, and I just wanted, do you have any thoughts on uh, maybe Kenneth Murray wasn't at fault as much as uh, maybe we all thought he was. Did you hear that storyline? I didn't hear the storyline, but, I mean, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, of course his teammates are going to come and, you know, stick up for him. Kenneth Murray's a really talented guy, and he yeah. flashed last year a lot. Um, but, no, I mean, he, he was a net negative for the defense last year. There's nothing that you can say to convince me otherwise. So, yeah, I mean, there. it may be true that when you watch back some plays that – people maybe originally perceived were Murray's fault weren't actually his fault if you just kind of know what his job was actually to do on that play sure yeah that might be true Uh, however there were more than enough instances of Kenneth Murray making costly mistakes and I just have two examples off the top of my head 
uh, from the Rose Bowl. And the uh, first one is Georgia's initial touchdown of the game. The first touchdown Georgia scored. Uh, Murray bites up on the play action and then lets Sony Michelle just cross his face. And Michelle's the only player that Murray would would account for on this play now that it's a pass read and he doesn't realize Michelle is wide open before it's too late. And so that's that was on him. It was an easy touchdown for Sony Michelle in Georgia. And then the infamous 75-yard touchdown run from Michelle right up the gut when Murray ends up getting distracted, biting on the jet motion or the motion man, which leaves the middle of the field wide open. And it looks like a truck can just drive right through that massive hole. And uh, Michelle scores a touchdown. So that's just two off the top of my head Lee, where it was definitely sorry, his, I, I, Sorry his to cut you off, but I, you know, in the times that I've rewatched the Rose Bowl, which has only been like twice now, uh, Georgia's game plan was absolutely to expose Kenneth Murray. That was their game plan going in, and it worked. Man, that's just two examples. Yeah, he he did not play that great of a game. And just even more, and that's like some anecdotal evidence, that's some film evidence, but here's some numbers evidence too about just how much he struggled a season ago, you know, before the Rose Bowl. So before that game that he had those two glaring mess ups and then probably more that I just can't think of right now. Uh, Pro Football Focus was grading Murray as one of the worst linebackers in college football. And his rating going into that Rose Bowl was 46.7. And you might be thinking, what does that mean? Well, Pro Football Focus says a grade of 85 or higher is considered NFL caliber. A grade from 80 to 84 is considered very good. A grade of 50 through 60 is considered below average. And Murray was even below that metric. And so, in other words, his grade was so low that PFF didn't even have a name for it. It was under 50. So, uh, you know, you might also think, like, you know, Pro Football Focus, what does that mean? It doesn't tell the whole story. Uh, it's just one metric. And, you know, sure, that's that might be a fair assessment. It's one thing. However, though, just to kind of give you an idea of other grades, uh, Jordan Thomas, before that Rose Bowl, his grade was 40. Sounds about right, correct? Would you say so, Grant? I mean, he oh, yeah. did not he was, have a good season at all. He was terrible. Yeah. He wasn't even playing at that point. And I, I don't have the... And so, I mean, and you can just go. Like, Parnell Motley, I'm pretty sure, had the highest grade on the defense. And I think, you know... Outside of Oboe, he was the best player on the defense. Parnell, last year. yeah, Motley and Oboe had the two highest grades on the yeah, defense. It's just not not yet, which is not surprising. Um, and also, just for for sake of you think of uh, really elite players like Roquan Smith, his grade going into that game was ninety, and Baker Mayfield's grade was incredibly high, ninety six point two. I think and, yeah, I think he had the highest grade ever for a quarterback. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so there's just some numbers. I mean, Kenneth Murray just did not have a good freshman season and at least he wasn't graded out very well um he, so if if he yeah, played very very much like a a true freshman who is playing middle linebacker for the first time in his life played very yeah. much like that yeah so if he has a sterling sophomore season and really is a leader in that defense man Oklahoma may be really solid on that side of the football because he uh, was a he, he was a big problem for the defense last year a much bigger problem than I think people realize thing is though Grant if we get more of what we got last year I think it's not crazy to say that he might get benched and lose his job I mean, especially considering if if the De- depth is as good as it's supposedly is in fall camp if Deshaun White's that good maybe at least there's depth there at least you know you're not at least you're not turning to a you know to a walk-on now 
So talk is cheap, and, and talk has been positive for Kenneth Murray, and, and Murray knows that. I, I really like his attitude. He, he seems like somebody who is uh, – he, he kind of – he thinks a lot. And he gets he it. Knows that, yeah, he gets it. So I, that's why I think a lot of us are kind of buying into the – the sophomore resurgence. Yeah, he is. Um, he has shown a lot of self awareness in the off season, and I think that's an incredibly positive sign. Same here. Moving back over to the offense, next category: sleeper impact player on that side of the football. And so these are going to be the the fun, interesting topics we get into now, the, or categories, if you will. Uh, let's see. Did you go first on that last one? Yeah, I think you did. Yeah. So, I did. I'll go first on this one. I'm going to go with Kennedy Brooks as the sleeper impact player on offense. Uh, we know Oklahoma is deep enough on offense to utilize three running backs, and I think Brooks is going to be that guy. Uh, I think he's helped by his extra year in the program, so that was nice. He redshirted a season ago. Uh, he looks steady in the spring game. Uh, he's a player who was crazy productive in high school. I like his attitude, and he's a hard worker. Uh, also, in for younger running backs, it's it's worth bringing up T.J. Pledger. I think you know, I saw him at the the first fall camp practice. We were allowed to go actually shoot for 15, 20 minutes, and Pledger looks kind of short and stocky but fast and twitchy. Uh, and, and he might be the guy, but I'm going to lean towards Brooks because, of again, of that extra year of college experience he has under his belt. And, you know, my man Marcellius Sutton, I want to be wrong about Marcellius Sutton, but I – I think his role will be pretty similar to it was uh, last season, which was returning kickoffs and not a whole lot more than that. Yeah, I agree. What do you got? Um, Lee, I'm going to pick someone that a lot of people might say is not a sleeper, but can my boy Trey Sermon get a little love, Lee? Rodney Anderson <laughs> is so freaking awesome that everyone forgets how good Trey Sermon is. And I, I think I said this about a month ago, but Sermon ran for about 800 yards last year and had a bunch of touchdowns showed a lot of skill, was very polished, and he was a true freshman. I feel like in any other year where Rodney Anderson didn't exist, do you have any idea how excited we, we would be about Trey Sermon? Yeah, very excited. Yeah, and I so think, I, uh, Trey Sermon's yeah. going to run for 1,000 yards this year. I'm just going to say it. Wow. That's a lot of big runs then he'd have to break off because I don't know how many carries he's going to get. He sure with, had a lot Anderson. of big runs last year. Yeah, a lot of big runs last year. Yeah, I mean, Trey Sermon's really good. I think what it is is, is he's not really a flashy player. And honestly, neither is Rodney Anderson. It's just he he was so good at the end of the last season. Uh and and he was I mean, he's the best running back in college football for the last eight or nine weeks of the of the season going into the playoff. Uh Trey Sermon just uh I think you said he was made of uh what did you say he was made of like rocks or like he was made of steel or something like that Basically. a couple weeks ago. Yeah, yeah dude can't just, be tackled. The guy's the guy's freaking ripped and he just he bounces off everybody. Yeah, he's He's really good. You know what I was thinking about the other day, too? Remember in the spring game when it looked like he might have like torn his ACL and was going to miss the whole entire year? Remember yeah. how, how freaky and scary that was? Mm-hmm. But it ended up being he's fine. <laughs> oh, yeah. Woo. He's yeah totally fine. Nobody even yeah, thought thought twice about it. Gosh, that was that was a moment. Uh, yeah, I got to say, Grant, I, uh, I kicked around the idea during this category to mention Drake Stoops. Really? How do you feel about that? Uh, yeah. I, yeah. You know, just kind of throwing something against the wall there. I, you know, maybe. Who knows? And uh, I think I'll, I'll talk a little bit mo- more about him uh, coming up here because because we have a, a different category of uh, freshman impact player. And I'm not saying I'm going to pick Drake Stoops for that category, but let's just say he might come up uh, during that one. So, and, you know, I, I just, mm. I, I want to put a bow on something. I just, I want to say one more thing about Trey Sermon. Every bit the player that Samaj Pirine was, every bit the player. 
I think uh, faster. He's got a little more speed than P. Ryan. Yeah, possible. As well, too. Um, all right, uh, let's move on to the defensive side of the football. Same kind of question. The sleeper impact player on defense. And I'll let you start on this one. Delarin Turner Yell. I knew you were going to pick him. It's my guy. It's my guy. Mm. If you I listened to I listened to Riley's comments on him the other day, uh, and again we were recording this. Uh, you're listening to this podcast if you're listening to it the first day it's out on August 27th. Uh, a reminder: right now it's August 17th for Grant and I. So when I say the other day, I'm I'm speaking just a few days ago. But uh, Lincoln Riley had a he was asked about Delaren Turner Yell and. Uh, actually, he brought him up. He wasn't really asked about him. He mentioned that Delaire and Turner Yell, and I think he used the word violent when describing Delaire and Turner Yell. The thing that I did not hear Riley ever say when he was discussing Turner Yell, which he talked about him for about 30 seconds or more, he didn't mention that he was really good at all and, and like, pass defense. And granted, why would he specifically say that? He wouldn't. That'd be weird. But that's the thing. That's my question with him, as I talked about uh, on a recent podcast, is I just don't know if the guy can cover. I hope he can. I think he's uh, a guy. Yeah. He's a guy they're going to put in the box. I think when he's in, and he will. He's going to play a lot this year. So um, right. he, he's he, he's going to be in the box. I think if he plays a lot this season, and he's he's already found a way in this incredibly talented secondary group. That's very impressive. And I mean, and I mean, he's going to play a lot in the sense that like Chance Sylvie would play a lot, or you know, okay, or Trey, or, or like a Trey Brown last year, if that if that makes sense. So I'm going to go uh, for my sleeper impact defensive player. I'm going to go with uh, kind of cheating. I'm going to go with an or. Uh, first one, Trey Brown. Uh, I'll start with him, but I have a different player to talk about as well. Uh, we haven't seen a lot of Brown in game action a little bit last season, uh, but he's got the talent to be a starting player in the secondary. And my question or, or my thought is, like, we'll see if Mike Stoops this season, if one of the corners, if, if Motley or Norwood starts to look like Jordan Thomas looked kind of towards really, I guess the the first part of the season last year. We'll see if Mike Stoops is a little quicker hook this year than last year. If, if one of those corners plays poorly, and if so, I could see Brown just being inserted and making some plays. So that's my first one, and then the other one I'm gonna, I want to bring up is Tyrese Lot. Just have a feeling. I think uh, that's a good you know, one. That's a really good one. He's just he's a big dude. Uh, he got a little playing time last year, but not much in the latter half of the season. Uh, it's just it's too bad that the new redshirt rule did not exist a year ago because I think he would have been a perfect candidate for that because he played in only five games and you got to think if the new redshirt rule existed a season ago they probably wouldn't have put him in that fifth game they would have probably just had him you know play the four get some get some experience get his feet wet and then re have redshirted him and have that extra year of eligibility uh, they burned it he's a he's a player that's you know over 300 pounds I've heard Calvin Thibodeau say some positive things about him so you know, on that defensive line, it's supposed to have depth, according to Thibodeau, but they need all the help they can get. And when there's a big body like Lott, eh, maybe he'll, he'll be a sleeper impact guy on defense. Maybe kind of like a Kenneth Mann kind of come out of nowhere last season. Yeah, I really like that pick, Lee. I, um, and, and Tyrese Lott's absolutely going to be in the rotation. He's he's right behind Amani Bledsoe at that three-tech defensive tackle. So we're, we're going to see a lot of Tyrese Lott this year, I think. Um, before we move on you know, to the next one, Lee, I, I almost, for both of these sleepers, I almost got got you know really cute on defense as well. I almost threw Parnell Motley in there on defense just to say, "Come on, guys! I mean, based off what we know, this dude's the best player on the defense. Like, how, no one's talking yeah. about him." Yeah, you know, I've 
I, you know, I was really high on Parnell Motley. I think he his his had, game deteriorated a bit as the season went on games. last year. Two bad games. I just I wasn't as confident in him in covering late in the year as I was Trey Norwood. And you know me, when it comes to playing cornerback, I really care mostly about how, can you defend the pass? Can you, is whenever passes are thrown your way, are you going to knock them down or make it difficult on the quarterback or the receiver? And, and that guy was Trey Norwood for the last four or five games of the season when he was playing. Parnell Motley was okay, but he he wasn't as good as Norwood was. So that's that's why I, I'm – he's a good player, and I hope that he's learned a lot from last season. He'll be even better again this year. Uh, uh, but that's that's why he's not getting a whole lot of talk, I think. Uh, Motley and Stephen Parker were the two best players in, in the Rose Bowl on defense. I know that's not saying a ton, but they if, if you could say anyone played well, it was those two guys. Yeah, Stephen Parker was just steady. And that's, uh, that's, a, that's a player that's, that's – it's not good that Oklahoma lost him because he was a leader on the defense and he was a good player and a great tackler. Good, good player. Really, really. Um, it, his, uh, he, he was much more of a liability in coverage than, and then a lot of people realized. Oh yeah. Yeah. He was not great in coverage at all, but yeah, for whatever reason, Oklahoma was able to kind of hide that with him. And it's probably because he played strong safety. You really strong safeties aren't asked to cover a whole lot deep. They're usually playing more, uh, up in the box, playing against the run, things like that. So, next category, where are we? We're uh, the freshman, right? Yeah, impact okay. freshman offense. Impact freshman on offense. Let's see. Uh, you went first uh, last category, so I'll go here. Um, same as uh, my sleeper offensive guy, Kennedy Brooks. So uh, he's he, Kennedy Brooks is a redshirt freshman. Does that count, or does, does it have to be a true freshman? Yeah, that counts. Okay, so I'll go with Candy Brooks, but I mentioned a moment ago, you know, Drake Stoops. So the reason why I was thinking of tossing around Drake Stoops and the sleeper offensive impact player, and I guess uh, the, the sleeper offensive player, and I guess now freshman impact player, he kind of go both ways considering that we're talking about Brooks and then now Drake Stoops. It's it's because Drake Stoops, he, I think he's going to be elevated a bit because of the name. Uh, he could have played in other programs he could have gotten a scholarship somewhere and played division one football somewhere else but he wanted to come to Oklahoma obviously by the way his brother Isaac is on the team as well too uh, that's something that I didn't quite know until recently uh, but anyways Drake uh, you know had a really good high school career I watched him a decent amount at Norman North and he's a hard worker I can see him I mean after C.D. Lamb, after Marquise Brown I know Charleston Rambo will get some run I know uh, Michael Jones is obviously there um, hell, um, even uh, Nick Basquin's back. And, and Nick Basquin, who knows? What if he ends up stepping up? So there's a lot of receivers to feed. I, I have a feeling that, you know, I could see Drake Stoops getting an opportunity and just being a really good slot player and catching a decent amount of passes, even though he's a true freshman preferred walk-on. Uh, I don't really have any other evidence to back it up why I feel that way. I just, I don't know, I kind of have a feeling. Yeah, and I think a lot of the time, you know, if we're going to, uh, like, you know, obviously the, you know, the freshman impact last year was it was it was split between CD and Trey Sermon, obviously, you know, at the end of the year. Yeah. Um, but I mean, a lot of the times you're just kind of, especially with a freshman, you're just kind of throwing stuff against the wall to see if it sticks. Um, and that's exactly what I'm doing with my pick too, Lee. I'm I'm taking Braden Willis, uh, the true freshman tight end, who I think is eventually going to, you know, morph into that H back Dimitri Flowers role. Um, and yeah, I, I really don't have, um, you know, a lot to go on there other than that. He's a, he's big, he's very athletic. Um, and you know, watch a little of his tape. The guy's got, guy's got, you know, some offensive skill for sure. 
Um, that's a guy who I think, you know, he's a three-star recruit. He's a three-star recruit because he played like three positions in high school. Uh, didn't stick to one thing. So uh, another guy who who I've heard, you know, could get some run is, you know, a receiver, Jaqueline Crawford is, is a freshman that could get some run. Uh, you know, you mentioned Charleston Rambo as well as the red shirt. But, um, you know, I, I'm just going to, I'm going to throw this one out there just to see if uh, it'll make me look smart later on. Yeah, I got some uh, information to, to back up, make you feel a little bit better about picking Braden Willis. And I was listening to the radio recently uh, in Oklahoma City. The franchise, Gabe Eichert, former Sooner, is on there quite a bit. And um, he was talking about how he was at practice. And you know what? I These former Sooners, I guess it makes sense. Like, they're allowed to go to practice and just hang out and watch. And, you know, and that's awesome. I mean, like, I would love to be able to just go hang out at practice. And I'm sure there's like a, you know, a, you know, they're part of the program, their family, and that sure it's fair. But anyways, point being is Eichert uh, was talking about Braden Willis, and he was there, and he, he his uh, discussion started as he didn't know who he was, and so he was asking people around the practice, like, "Hey, who who is that guy over there? Who's eighty one? Who's eighty one? Because he stood out to him so much." Uh, what Gabe Eichert said about Willis just physically is that to him, he looked like a freshman Jermaine Gresham, just physically. That's how big he looked. And uh, so, for whatever reason, Braden Willis stood out to Gabe Eichert in one of the practices he was at. And we haven't heard a whole lot about him. But, uh, yeah, maybe he uh, he will be uh, a player that jumps out at us and surprises us as a, as a freshman impact yeah. player. Yeah, Leon, I think I, saw, I think I saw one of the Sooner Scoop guys on Twitter the other day when they had, you know, practice availability. Uh, I think it might have been Eddie who, who said something on the lines of how just physically impressive Braden Willis looks as a true freshman. It was one of the guys. I can't remember. Um, but, yeah, I mean, when, when you hear stuff like that, that I mean, that's significant. You know, a, a lot of the times for a true freshman, you know, the reason why true freshmen can't break in is because they're just not physically ready. That doesn't seem to be the case with Braden Willis. All right, we have one more individual player category, and I got to say it's a pretty easy one. Freshman impact player on defense. I think, uh, Grant, you and I have the same answer to this question. Yeah, I have Buki. I, ha- I have Buki, and then afterwards for my explanation, I have Duh. And my uh, explanation is pretty obvious. Yeah, he's he's starting. He he walked on campus. He's a starter day one. He's a he's the nickelback. So that's a good one to end on. Not a very, lot of uh, explanation needed there. Yeah, Lee, I, I think I think Buki is going to have a very very Tony Jefferson like freshman season, which is which is great. Like when Tony Jefferson was a freshman. Yeah, Tony Jefferson stepped okay. in as a true freshman, started from day one at nickelback, and he was great for three years. Was great. That would be fantastic for this much maligned Oklahoma defense. Very much so. Both both very similar like size as well. I think Buki's a little hmm. thicker, but I mean they're they're both, you know, undersized guys. And Tony Jefferson, of course, has gone to have a, a really quality career in the Tony, NFL. Tony Jefferson is one of the best safeties in the world. I <laughs> that's that's all. I mean, he's 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 borderline top five safety in the NFL. All right, let's do uh, some game talk. Next category, identifying Oklahoma's trap game. And I can't remember what we did last season on this one. I think you said Baylor, which yep. ended up being weirdly correct. Yours was yours was right, too. You had Kansas State. I, yeah, Kansas State. Kansas State, which I think that was kind of the obvious trap game a season ago. Uh, so this could be interesting. I actually have two because it's more fun that way, uh, depending on how the season goes. I so do, I'll, You have two as well? Okay. Yeah. So I'll, uh, I'll start with mine. My first trap game happens in September 
And maybe it's not the September game that most people would uh, think it is, especially after hearing me talk on this podcast for months. My September trap game is September 22nd at home against Army. And I'll paint this picture for you. All right, you got Oklahoma coming off a revenge-type W over Iowa State in Ames, feeling pretty good about themselves, probably now hopefully 3-0 and on the season. The next up, you got Army. You think, Psh, Army, whatever, not good. Oklahoma's going to roll them, but not so fast. Army was good last year. They run the option, which is not fun to defend. That's a trap game, even though it's a home game. What's your first game? Um, so the one I put at the top is the no- is the November third game at Texas Tech uh, in Lubbock, and there's reasons for this. I mean, this is this is the end of a four game stretch of Texas at TCU and versus Kansas State, and that four game stretch ends at Texas Tech. So that's obviously you know, and then the week after that is Bedlam. So that's obviously the biggest five game stretch of their season right there, probably or the most consequential. And you know w- what team in there sticks out like a sore thumb that you would not really think of? It's Texas Tech. And it's on the road. It's in Lubbock, and you know, it, it's been a while since they've struggled in Lubbock. But and, and I mean, and by struggled, I mean it's been a while since they've lost in Lubbock. But I mean, there's there's some history there, and it's it's not easy to go into Lubbock and win. And that's my other trap game is Texas Tech, and for all the reasons you said, and also throwing uh, one more little nugget in there, Cliff K- uh, Kingsbury's is coaching for his job this season. So and and what if all the talk that we were hearing preseason about Texas Tech's defense actually being good? What if that's actually kind of true and their defense is a little bit better than we think it's going to be? It's possible. That, that yeah, be a I difficult mean, game. You know, Dakota Allen's is a good player in the middle, and you know if he takes the next step. But Lee, I have here just kind of at the end just for my second trap game. I have, but let's be real: the biggest trap game is on September first against FAU because it is. It's the biggest one. I I, I just I, I I sense a a weird amongst the fan base just like a, a weird confidence about this game for some reason like it's not a big deal i this is fau is like the third or fourth best team they're going to play this upcoming season they, they would be i mean they'd be in the top half of the big 12 i'm dead serious yeah i mean maybe around the fan base there's kind of a malaise where it's like eh, no big deal but no one uh what we know about lincoln riley and the fact that that's game number one i like that that's the first game of the year because lincoln riley's going to make sure that his team knows that fau is really damn good and they've got a lot of time to prepare for this. Granted, they're in fall camp right now, so I can't imagine every single day at practice. Uh, and again, this podcast being recorded on August 17th, so it's not August 27th. Uh, but I can't imagine all the fall camp days they they do FAU prep, but throughout the offseason, you got to expect there's been some, some film watching. They're, they're prepping for it, even though the quarterback's going to be different for the Owls this year. Um, I like that this is the first game, and I think – there's going to be a lot to prove, and so that that's why I'm not as uh, I'm not as um, bullish on it being a trap game, just because it is that first game of the season, and, and Lincoln Riley will get his team ready, and, and they'll know what they're going into. I think for sure. I mean, and I'll, you know, I'll be honest with you. When I look at this game, there's three other games that stick out right in my mind, Lee, and that is 2005 against TCU, 2009 against BYU, and then of course 2016 against Houston. This FAU team better than all those teams. All of them. This this FAU team just as, as every bit as good um, as that Houston team that beat OU a couple years ago. FAU every bit as good as 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 West Virginia this upcoming season. FAU is really good. It's that's going to be a really hard game. One thing I would say is I'm not so sure FAU's defense is going to be better than maybe that Houston defense in 2016. Uh, FAU's defense is fine. It's just they 
they played a lot of really bad teams a lot yeah, of the year. Yeah, I think it was per S&P, I think it was but in the offensively, mid, the I think they're, they're really good. Yeah, I mean, FAU's defense per S&P was way better than OU's last year. Hmm. Um and they, you know, they return, you know, a significant amount of guys from the defense as well. Yeah, so, they do. They um uh, I mean, it's not going to be uh, FAU is going to get some stops in this game. So, it's uh it's, I I and I could be wrong, you know, they could show up and they could blow them out of the water, but dude, just don't count on it. Go, go look at FAU's roster. Look at all the blue chip recruits they have up and down that roster. I mean, that's, there's, there's a lot more teams that Oklahoma are going to play this season that are nowhere near as talented as FAU. As we get closer to the game, and again, uh, as you're listening to this, we are, we're less than a week away from the game. But, uh, and by, by that time, by August 27th, maybe the line will have changed. But I will not be surprised if the line moves from right now it's at 20 and a half. Some money's going to start coming in on FAU, and that might get down to under 20, maybe 19, 18. You know, people out there maybe don't care about betting and, and lines, so you, I think it's boring. But the, eh. sharp, the Sharps are going to be on FAU hard yeah. in that game. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, that's almost, especially now that it's under three touchdowns. Um, so we'll see. Uh, the last Oklahoma-themed category of this uh, West of Everest season preview is Oklahoma's final regular season record. So that means the first 12 games of the year, obviously not including the Big 12 championship if Oklahoma were to make it and not including a postseason game. Uh, you know, Grant, I'm going to pitch it over to you. What do you think Oklahoma's record is going to be? Yeah, I, I just want to be realistic. I'm trying not to be a homer here. They're going to go 10 and 2. They're going to win the Big 12. And I think, you know, I think people are going to be really excited for 2019. 10 and 2. So did you uh, mark down those two losses where they're going to be? Or are you just going to say, you know what, it's hard to predict, but at some point there's two, there's two games in there where they're going to fall? I, yeah, I mean, it's hard to predict, yes, but I, I do think there's two games in there. And, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if they drop one of the, a game in September. Um, they're, not, they're not, you know, UCLA is, is arguably the worst team they're playing in September. Um, it's just going to be tough. Texas is going to be tough. At TCU is going to be tough. Um, and, and I, I just, I don't know yet. We, we don't know what the team's going to look like. And, and I know they have a lot of, I, this is not me saying that, you know, they're going to be a disaster or anything. I, I still think they are far and away the favorites in the big 12 and should be, um, you know, I, there's just, I've seen more talented OU teams than this one drop multiple games. I have, and I'm just going by, uh, just trying to be realistic. That's all. I, and Hey, I, I predicted the exact same thing last year and it turned out pretty well. And yeah, well, you were. You were dead wrong, is what it was. Yeah, and I was very happy to be dead wrong. But <laughs> you know, I it, and Lee. Uh, so I, I saw something tweeted by Dan Wolken the other day, and I'm not a huge fan of Dan Wolken generally. Um, but I, I he he did he tweeted something that I thought was pretty wise as far as you know uh, you know college football prognostication. He said that you know going into seasons, people focus too much on what teams lost and not who is on the roster. And so, like, mm-hmm. I, Oklahoma is the best offensive personnel in the country. They have three offensive linemen who will certainly be drafted at some point in time. You can probably even throw Cody Ford in there will likely be drafted. Um, Oklahoma is, is, is scary talented on offense. So, I mean, it's they, the, yeah. the, blue, the blueprint is there. Um, I, I'm just, I, I think this is, they're, they're still not there. I, I still think they need one more, you know, top, top five top 10 recruiting class to kind of take that step that Clemson has taken to become you know a perennial college football player like pretty much you know pencil them in well I'm a little more OU crimson colored glasses with my regular season uh, prediction same prediction I had a season ago at this time I'm going to say Oklahoma goes 11 and 1 and um, 
I'm not going to pinpoint an actual loss for them, but I will say the games that they will most likely lose, I have them ranked. Number one, actually, Texas, just because that rivalry game, and it seems like uh, weird things happen in that game, and although I'm not the biggest Tom Herman guy right now, it's just you never know in that one. So for whatever reason right now, I think Texas is is the most likely loss for OU, followed by West Virginia at the end of the year on the road. Uh, you know, I'm I'm high in West Virginia. Haven't changed my mind on that one. Uh, could be dead wrong, but I'm still high in the Mountaineers. And then the third most likely game they could lose is that season opener at FAU. Um, even though when we talked about FAU a moment ago, I've, I kind of have changed my mind a little bit and maybe have taught myself out of that being maybe the third most likely. But uh, last year I said 11-1. and one. I thought Oklahoma was going to lose to Ohio State and run the rest of their games. Obviously I was wrong about that, but that random loss to Iowa State happened. Uh 11 and 1. I hope I'm wrong. I hope Oklahoma goes 12 and 0. Yeah, and and I and I just want to <laughs> I just want to add that it is absolutely within the realm of possibility that this team just runs through the Big 12 like it's nothing. That is possible. So I I, I just want to throw it, but you know, I, I think it really depends on on what we get from Kyler Murray. I think it's going to be great. Um but, you know, if if I'm trying to nail a prediction, I I just think this is the most likely scenario. All right, that's the Oklahoma portion of this uh, podcast. Obviously, I'm sure we'll talk about Oklahoma again at some point going on through this pod, but now we're going to move more over to Big 12-related stuff. And uh, the first one is uh, kind of an over- and underrated-type category, and we're going to ask which Big 12 team is going to be better than is, ex- than is expected of them. So basically, which Big 12 team is kind of being underrated right now? And uh, you can start. I will go, I'll start with this one. And I'll be consistent with this. I think it's Iowa State. I think Iowa State is going to be a lot better than people are saying the Cyclones will be. I picked them to finish fourth in the conference this year. Uh, the media picked them to finish seventh this season. Uh, last year, Iowa State tied for fourth with Kansas State, West Virginia, and Texas. Here's the deal. When I look at Iowa State's schedule, I see three games where I think the Cyclones are very likely to lose. That's against Oklahoma, West Virginia, and then at Texas. Uh, road games obviously are difficult, but I think Iowa State will have a chance to win most of their away contests. They're going to be at Iowa, at TCU, which I'm not high on TCU this year, at Oklahoma State, kind of ditto with Oklahoma State. Uh, Kyle Kempt returns, David Montgomery back. Iowa State returns almost its entire offensive line. The defense, yeah, loses some key players like Joel Lanning, uh, which could be a bigger loss than I'm estimating at this point. Uh, but the fact that Iowa State played so well defensively last year tells me they just they know how to get the most out of a team that doesn't have a whole lot of talent. I don't really get why Iowa State is not getting a whole lot of love this season. I think they're going to be better than people are saying. What's your team? Yeah, I think I think Iowa State. I think that's I think that was probably the team that I I was leaning towards. You know, after this one, uh, I'm going with TCU just because I think it's it's um, they're the they're the clear number two program in the big 12 ever since they joined the conference clear. Um, and so like where we are right now, I, I, it's, it just doesn't make sense to put anyone but Oklahoma and TCU at the top. Um, and so I, I just, I don't understand why um, I, I don't understand why they're not a top 10 team, to be honest with you. Uh, they've, they've proven it consistently over the last five or six years. Um, I do know that um, as we're recording this, Lee, I think yesterday the news broke that one of their really important defensive players, uh, one of their defensive tackles, Ross Blacklock, he's out for the season. He tore his Achilles. So that's significant, obviously. Uh, I mean, it's a TCU. I mean, they're, they're going to play good defense. And, and I really do think that, you know, we don't know if Sean Robinson can throw yet. 
but this is a team that you know has a lot of skill talent and you know they're going to be able to out athlete a lot of teams with with some of the skill talent they got lee hmm well that's a good transition into just, the next category yeah my but the point is tcu i think going into the season is is a clear number two in the conference and it's it shouldn't even really be a debate well we're going to have that debate right now because my big 12 team that's being overhyped and, and overrated i think uh well actually now i look at my notes i probably texas just because it was texas last year and pretty much will be texas until texas actually does start to play like they they did for a few years under mac brown uh, but instead of Texas, I'm going to go with TCU because uh, the media the media actually kind of likes TCU. They're picking them to finish third in the Big 12. Granted, it sounds like you think it should be OU one, TCU two, which I guess that is what you said. You should just you should just pencil those in at the top without even thinking about it. I think where we are in the Big 12. All right, here's my reasoning behind TCU being overhyped. I don't think they have a quarterback. And the last time he that Gary Patterson was breaking in a new quarterback, which is in 2016 with Kenny Hill, the Frogs went six and seven. And prior to that year, they had a couple of, you know, they had those nice years with Trevon Boykin. But before Boykin was entrenched as a starter, TCU had a, a couple of down years, including a 4-8 and eight season in 2013. So, like, I mean, defense can only get you so far. I just don't think TCU's going to be able to score a lot of points in 2018. And we've seen TCU teams in the last five to seven years without a quarterback not be very good and at best be average. And so I think that TCU is likely going to have one of those seasons uh, in 2018 that's why I'm not high on them well I completely disagree and I think uh, at least, and then to me too the most overvalued team uh, is obvious to me it's West Virginia um, you know I, I do think they have they do have probably top three offensive skill talent in the country kind of along with with Oklahoma and you know maybe Georgia or Alabama or, or Clemson or, or whatnot or Ohio State probably um, but they have no depth to speak of and their defense will be bad teams are going to run the ball <laughs> at will against them at will any any team that has a pulse in their running game is going to is going to run for 200 yards against them easily and so like i i, I just they're they're this west virginia team is a carbon copy of the west virginia team of that first west virginia team in the big 12 with geno smith and Tavon austin that like a carbon copy yeah but wilger is so much better than geno smith I, they're pretty much the same player like mm. exactly the nah, same player I, I think we're going to see this year that that's not true. I think I think Will Greer is a really darn good player, and man, Oklahoma was <laughs> so lucky last season when he got injured and didn't play in that last game. Oh, it wouldn't have mattered. West Virginia was not was not stopping OU in that game at all. Like that wasn't happening. Yeah, probably not. Do you remember that but, was the uh, best? That was the that was the most prolific first yeah. half on offense in the history of Oklahoma football, and <laughs> yeah. West Virginia did not have a freaking chance in that game. I mean, it was. That that was the most lopsided OU's offense looked, you know, against anyone the entire season. It was it was hilarious. Yeah, it was just nice. It was nice to not see him out there because that Oklahoma defense would have had a tough time with him. That's all I gotta say. Um, all right, last Big Twelve topic. Uh, it's kind of an easy one. Who will play in the Big Twelve championship game? Um, I uh, I'm just gonna ba- base this off of my preseason poll that I had and. Um, so I say OU and West Virginia. You're not high on West Virginia. I am. I'm, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. So I say Oklahoma will play West Virginia. So basically it'll be a freaking rematch from the week before, which is going to be interesting. Which I, actually kind of makes me which kind of makes me think, like, man, like maybe it won't be West Virginia then because that just seems too perfect slash terrible. Not, see, I was going to say slash awful. <laughs> yeah. Like that's the Big 12 for you. Like inserting this useless championship game just because they think it's better yet 
that it will always guarantee a rematch, which is not a great just thing. dumb which if if any of you guys like logic you realize it literally makes no sense to do it yeah it just gives them that extra game they thought they needed to to be playing on that weekend whenever all the other conference championships are going on so anyways i'm gonna go big 12 championship ou versus west virginia for the record last year i went ou versus oklahoma state i believe in the big 12 title game a bedlam rematch which did not come to fruition who do you got oh you tcu it's oh, gonna be okay. it's gonna be a rematch of last year all right, let's go to the national scene, and uh, some of the similar uh, similar categories. You know, overvalued, undervalued, things like that. We'll predict the Heisman winner. Uh, I nailed it last year. Yes, and uh, you know we'll do the playoff, and then we'll do the national champion, uh, the national champion, and then we'll get out of here. Uh, may- maybe one other, maybe one other topic. We'll see, but. Um, to the national scene, uh, an overvalued team, a team that is getting a lot of love going into this season, you think, from either the national media uh, or I guess basically the national media or maybe fan bases. Like, what's a team that's being pumped up big time for you uh, this year, Grant, that you just don't really don't really get you think is being overvalued? Uh, you know, I think this is a really weird year uh, just because there's I, I really think there's like eight teams that can even compete for a national championships. So the overvalue is tough. So I, I just kind of had to go. Um, I just kind of had to go off off the coaches pool. It's already been you know released, and I got to go with USC again. They they should be nowhere near the top twenty five anywhere. Um, so I fifteenth in the coaches pool. Yeah, wow, they're above they're above, they're above wow. they're above TCU, and that's laughable. Um, and and I know the the coaches pool shouldn't really put a ton of stock in that, but. You know, Clay Helton runs a very unimaginative offense, and I can see him being fired after back-to-back eight and four seasons. He's not a good coach. Yeah, that's a good pick. Actually, I think that's probably right. Going with USC, I wasn't going to go with USC. Yeah, you know, I'm going to start it early this year. Well, I've already started it. I'm going to go with Penn State. Penn State is being overvalued, top, number nine in the coaches' poll. Everyone really likes themselves from Trace McSorley, and I do too. I think he's a nice player. He's a nice player. But Saquon Barkley's gone, and as much as I've been saying that Saquon Barkley, he's a really good player, but like I'm not as high on him in the NFL as a lot of people are because I'm just I'm not. But that doesn't mean he's not a good player because he he was a really good player at Penn State, and he was basically outside of outside of him, he was basically their offense. And like when he couldn't get going, Penn State's offense didn't do a whole lot in uh, in 2017. But the the key though, outside of Barkley, that a lot of people don't talk about and just don't think about is Joe Moorhead. Joe Moorhead's gone. The offensive coordinator's out the door. He's at Mississippi State now. The guy calling plays is out of here. And that means a lot to me. That means so much because that guy clearly, uh, he was somewhat imaginative. He was able to put Penn State into good positions. And I just, I don't buy Trace McSorley elevating that entire team now that Saquon Barkley's gone with a new offensive coordinator making this some sort of national championship team contender. Uh, so I'm going to go with Penn State, even though I, I do think that you're right about USC as well. That's a good call. Yeah, I'm 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 going to stay away from Penn State. Um, I I can I can see where you're coming from for sure. Uh, they've recruited at a really high level, um, and it also doesn't help. I mean, I, I think I think their their end of season record probably will reflect that maybe they were you know maybe a bit overvalued, but I still think they're going to be a good a good team. They they play in the they play in you know the the toughest division in all of college football. Um, you know, Trace McSorley is back. I mean, this is his third year as a full-time starter. He's got a veteran offensive line back, and I know it wasn't a great offensive line, um, but you know, when you return a lot of guys in your offensive line and your, you know, your third-year starting quarterback, 
you're probably not going to take a massive step back on offense. Um, but I just, I, I, I don't think they're going to be as good as they were last year because you know their defense was really underrated last year and they lost. Their defense all, was really good. They Penn lost State's a defense lot last of guys. season was very uh, good. I think they and lost eight the or nine guys off that defense. Um, and they're, you know, they've recruited well, so I think they're still going to be athletically viable on defense. But there's going to be some growing pains, especially when you, you know, when you have to play in that division. That's the key to Penn State. If if they can actually have a, a defense similar to last year's, then then I'll be wrong, and they'll they'll probably win another ten games and be a, a contender because that was the secret last season with Penn State. It's like everyone talked about Saquon Barkley in the offense. That defense was actually really good. That defense won them some games when that offense was not looking that great. Uh, and just stifled teams and, and made it to where the offense didn't need to be great at certain times, which would have been nice if Oklahoma had a defense like that, where the offense didn't have to be perfect every single series, it would seem. Um, all right, so that's the overvalued team. Next uh, logical category is the team in the nation that's being undervalued. Who, who do you think is who is uh, should be ranked higher and is not? And based on the theme of this podcast, I think, Grant, you're going to pick TCU uh, with this one. I honestly... Uh, and uh, you know maybe you don't pick TCU for me I'm realizing that I'm not properly prepared for this question um I mean how dare you assume that I was going to pick TCU Lee I'm not I'm not picking TCU um so I I, I'm so the way I'm kind of feeling this season out Lee is is, as I think there are and I just said it I I think there's eight teams going into the season where there's a you know there's a clear uh, they're the favorites I, I think there's there are eight teams that can make the college football playoff and everyone else. I think there's a, there's a, a fairly sizable gap Lee. And I think that, you know, I, I think that line is kind of with, uh, you know, Washington, Wisconsin there at the end. And then I have Auburn in there, Lee. Um, I think Auburn is part of that eight. And I think it's Auburn because they're number 10 in the polls. And I, I know they play, they play a brutal schedule and I'm not, I don't think they're going to be able to manage it. But I mean, they got Washington in week one. Yeah, but I I think Auburn's better in Washington. I think they're going to beat Washington. Um, and I but I think Washington's good. But I think Auburn is in that group of eight. And the jump to the next team, I have my number nine team is Miami, Florida. I think the 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 gap between Washington, who I have at number eight, um, and Miami is pretty big. I think it's pretty big. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Uh, looking at Auburn's schedule real quick. Yeah, they got to <laughs> they got to play at Georgia and at Alabama, <laughs> in. Uh, November 10th at Georgia then they get the the, the mid-November SEC bye week FCS game against Liberty actually didn't Liberty beat Baylor last year oh yeah <laughs> which I'm, I'm I'm sure Auburn's not going to get hit beat by Liberty but but uh, yeah anyways they got at Georgia versus Liberty at Alabama to end the season Eww. that's tough that's just a that's a brutal schedule Gosh. they need to Ugh, and somebody, even before they Georgia, to. they got a home game against A and M, who might be viable under Jimbo Fisher. Who knows? God, somebody, somebody needs to create the schedules for every team. Those are just that's like you got Alabama, who is playing just a cupcake schedule for the number one team in the country, and a team in their same division plays by far the toughest schedule in all of college football. Like it's just like there's no. It's so hard to judge these teams. There's just no equity in scheduling at all. I Alabama, know. Alabama has a freaking walk to the playoff. Alabama, Louisville, week one without Lamar Jackson anymore. So that should be a pretty darn easy W for Alabama. Arkansas State at Ole Miss, home against Texas A&M, then Louisiana. So they got, aside from Louisville. 
the Raging Cajuns. Yeah. So aside from Louisville, they got their other two non-conference games and early in the year is against Arkansas State, which has Justice Hansen at quarterback, the the former OU guy. Is that his name? Justice Hansen, I think. And yeah, he's a good player. He's got a brother at Edmond uh either Edmund Memorial, Edmund Santa Fe coming up that plays quarterback too. But so I mean Arc State, I guess is not a not a cupcake. I mean they made a bowl game no, last Alabama year. Alabama has absolutely perfected scheduling. They always play one marquee uh neutral site game and they play a mid major who is solid and will have a winning record at the end of the year, like Arkansas State. Last year it was Fresno State. Alabama yeah. schedules very well. They they, they get it. Man, they got Louisiana on September 29th and October comes. They're back to SEC at Arkansas, home against Missouri, at Tennessee, at LSU, and then they finish up Mississippi State, the Citadel, and then home against Auburn. I mean, it's just it's such a manageable schedule for a team that is penciled into the playoff every single year, and it's like, yeah, you wonder why. It's because, like you said, they've they perfected it. Yeah, they know they know exactly what they're doing. They're they they know exactly what they do. They know exactly what they need to do on every level to win a national championship. They've just—I mean, it's the—it's—it's it's the best college football dynasty in the history of the sport, obviously. So I suppose I got to give an answer for a team that's being undervalued. And so my easy one, then I've just after doing quick little research as you were talking, I'm going to go with uh, FAU. FAU's not in the top 25. They're not even uh, getting that many votes in the coaches' poll. Uh, they're 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 uh, behind in, in the others receiving votes category. FAU is behind South Carolina, Florida, Oregon, Utah, Texas A&M, Northwestern, and Kansas State. So I'm going to say Florida Atlantic is going to be my team, uh, and then kind of another wild card like might be undervalued because th- this team's schedule actually I think is pretty manageable, and and they have a a veteran quarterback that could be good. Uh, Oregon, Oregon actually might be a team that's not bad this season, even though. Uh, I'm not sure if Mario Cristobal is the guy. I mean, they they laid down and rolled over in the bowl game when he took over last year. I mean, it's one game, so maybe that was just a, a weird thing, and they're going to bounce back, and they're going to, oh, let's make sure it doesn't happen again. Let's rally around our new coach now, and we'll play a lot better. And I think uh, Herbert, their quarterback, I don't think didn't play in that game either. I think he was injured. Uh, do you remember, was Justin Herbert out or something like that? Maybe yeah, Herbert was, was in and out all of last year. He didn't yeah. – He didn't. Re- I know he was He was really good when he did play, but, yeah, he, he, he missed a handful of games for sure. Yeah, Justin Herbert, add him to the list of quarterbacks. No, I was wrong. He Herbert did play in that game when they lost to Boise State. Oh, so. okay, yeah, you were talking about Boise. So, Lee, I want to I uh, bounce back a little bit to Mario Cristobal because he's got a really interesting uh, kind of like coaching, you know, uh, record. He was. Do you remember? I mean, he was. He was the head coach at FIU uh, for about for five or six seasons, and I remember him always being talked about as an up and comer, a uh, guy who was you know just a matter of time till he got a big time job. And instead of doing that, he he went to Alabama to be an assistant coach from Florida International, and then from there he went to you know Oregon where he's at last year. He was he was the co offensive coordinator, and now he's mm-hmm. he's a head coach again. So I thought that, I thought that was just kind of an interesting trajectory. So his thought was probably like, hey, I'm. There's only maybe one chance you have to work under Saban. It's worth being an assistant to learn from him because you know who knows what you're going to take from Nick Saban. It it could be very valuable. That had to have been the thought process, right? I mean, he was an assistant head coach last offensive line coach, I believe, according to Wikipedia. Um, and and you mentioned FIU, yeah, it's FIU. They're they're not a great program, but he didn't have a whole lot of success there. No, he didn't, and he got fired. So I was I I was I mean, thinking twenty games under five hundred. 
yeah so you so yeah it's it sounds like when he was a when he kind of a hot commodity it's it's it looks like the next two seasons after that they went eight and 14 and they fired him so oops uh real quick uh back to Oregon Justin Herbert is is one quarterback this season that I will add to my list of guys that I need to watch more of because uh I haven't seen him play really at all and I hear a lot of good things about him being a good NFL prospect uh both of us are on the record of just how down this year is as far as NFL draft ready quarterbacks for the 2019 draft like when Drew Locke is like maybe your number one prospect is like oh goodness yeah that's odd like for sure that's so I mean but anyways, Herbert's a guy that I definitely want to see more of this season to see if he actually looks like a player that could be a good NFL quarterback. Let's move to the most overrated and useless award in all of sports, the Heisman Trophy. Sorry, Baker Mayfield. Uh, still cool that you won it, obviously, but it doesn't mean anything when it comes to NFL success. And they give you the award, and then you got to go on, and then you got to play a bowl game and a playoff game, and then it doesn't help you win or lose that game at all. It's just a fun thing to talk about in December. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm overly hard on the Heisman, I know. But uh, it's always fun to talk about because it's college football. And for me, this is easy. I, I'm going to keep banging the West Virginia drum until uh, it looks stupid to do so. And so that means that I'm going to go with Will Greer to win the Heisman because it's a quarterback award. I've already actually uh, asked some friends that uh, can do this legally to throw a little bit, of, little bit of money on Greer to win the Heisman. So I'm putting my money where my mouth is. And I'm going to pick Will Greer to win the Heisman Trophy this year. And, and also, to be fair, I have a couple other long shot guys. I threw uh, I threw a little bit of cash on Kyler Murray. And I also threw a little bit of cash on a uh, real long shot, UCS McKenzie Milton. Oh, I mean, that's a that's a huge long shot. He's going to have to put up, like, the best numbers ever, I suppose. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm going to go with Will Greer, though, to win the Heisman. Who do you got? Yeah, I mean, this is – I have no idea. This it, it, is the most wide-open year that I can remember, Lee. Um you know, I I could see someone off the wall like Shea Patterson winning it. Um, I, I'm just trying to think of someone, you know, a guy who's had success. You know, he, he was a good player at Ole Miss, and now he's he's with Michigan. I don't know who he's got to throw to or anything like that. Um, but you, you gotta Michigan think. Has, has good good wide receivers mm-hmm. and good skill players. That's yeah. what I've heard. I, I can't confirm that because I don't remember. I mean, last year they were very underutilized considering the quarterback play for Michigan was atrocious. You know, but but you got you got to think, right, that, I mean, whoever's going to win it is likely going to be a participant in the college football playoff, I, I would assume. Um, yeah. And, and I just, I, I'm, I'm going to go with Jonathan Taylor, Wisconsin, because I think he's going to run for 2,000 yards, and I think Wisconsin is going to kind of like, is going to be a, a major storyline over the course of the season. I'll go Jonathan Taylor. Taylor. Uh, Taylor's either the favorite right now or the second favorite next to Bryce Love. Yeah. I'm I'll, not sure. Like, and I'm taking him to win, like in a you know, like a Mark Ingram like year where he's clearly not the best player, but we have no one else to give it to. You know what I mean? Yeah, that makes sense. All right, so Heisman. Uh, and for the record, I'm uh, one for one. I'm predicting the Heisman on West of Everest. So we'll see if I'm two for two after uh, you know after December gets here, the end of December. All right, we have a couple more categories to go, maybe a few more to go. Let's get to the playoff, Grant. And we did this uh, you know, about a, a, a month ago or so. Uh, we predicted our playoff teams just because it kind of came up in conversation. Like, hey, why not? Let's do it. We're like you know, six weeks out from the regular season, a month out, whenever it was we did it. Uh, I'm curious to see if, if any of your teams have changed because I will tell you that at least one of my teams has actually changed during this time. Same. Um, let's uh, let's go like I'll say a team and then you say a team and then I'll say a team go like that way maybe we can have some drama built up here I think that's good even though 
I know that there's two teams, and you mentioned this before we started the podcast. You can pencil two teams in, and should we just get those out of the way right now? Yeah, Alabama, we can do that. Yeah. Clemson. Alabama, Clemson. Correct. Do you want to? Yeah, and so and with Alabama, you know they're going to be there perpetually until Nick Saban is gone. Full stop. That's that's just how it is. Um, you know, only with Clemson, it's like I, I actually, you know, I, I've read a little blurb about every team here to go off of. Okay, it's, it's funny. I've and so I, I, I ordered them and what I think their seeds going to be. And you know, I have Alabama and then Clemson. Um, the the little blurb I have about Clemson doesn't seem very nice for a team that I'm picking as basically the number two team in the country. Um, you know, but it says you know I've, I've been really critical of Kelly Bryant. Um, and I'm just going to flat out they're not going to win a national championship with him as the quarterback. No chance. None at all. Um, so I, I think they're going to get here uh, by virtue of an insanely talented defense um, and a lot of teams that aren't really going to be able to stretch that defense. Um, but in terms of winning the national championship, they're going to have to pray that Trevor Lawrence is the second coming. And he's not going to be. He's a true freshman. <laughs> well, good on you for having a blur for everybody. I don't really have a blur for especially Alabama and Clemson because uh, I feel the same way about you, even though I am a little higher on Kelly Bryant than you are. And I just Kelly he's just, Bryant. He's not a good player. At times last year. Um, he did. He showed me some flashes last season, but clearly was was proven to be very limited in the playoff against Alabama. He threw like seven touchdown passes last year, and a vast majority of them came against he threw like four against the Citadel or something. But hey, man, he got injured against Syracuse, and that's that's an excuse for them to lose that game. <laughs> it was pro- they're probably better off with him getting hurt. That's, uh, I mean, that's that's not true because he he does add a little bit of an element with his legs, but he is he he is not good at completing forward passes. <laughs> All right, so we each have two more teams to predict for the playoff now, and these are these are the ones where maybe things have changed. So let's go one at a time. I will uh, I will start. And I'll begin with a team that I actually had in the last time we did this. I'm still going with Oklahoma. I think Oklahoma's going to make the playoff yet again. I go with OU. I already said they'd be 11-1 and this season. Uh, obviously, I think they're going to win the Big 12 championship game, whoever they play in the rematch, uh, with, whoever, yeah, with whoever they play against. And uh, I'm expecting Oklahoma right now in August to make the playoff yet again. Who is your third team? And, and I'll just go with one that I think everyone's heard already, uh, Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin's going to make it this year. Um, I'm just going to roll with this one, Lee. Um, I, I, I do think Ohio State is loaded. And I, I, I made this pick before the whole Urban Meyer thing happened. You did. I did. You did. So uh, I, I think, I think Scani finally breaks through here. And I, and I think, you know, I, I think they're probably going to get rolled in the first round. Um, but, yeah, I guess, I, you know, we'll find out. I don't know. You know, Alex Hornibrook is, is not great. He showed flashes, though. And, you know, they, they do have their, you know, they, they got a talented receiver who's back, you know, who was having a really good season last year. And, and then he got hurt. He's back. Their entire offensive line's back. Jonathan Taylor is—he's not the best running back in the country, but he is—he's a perfect Wisconsin running back. Um, and you know, Wisconsin has been the best program that has not made the playoff yet, and so I, I think they're finally going to break through. This is their year. Um, and my my, my entire—what uh, I said originally is—I I think Ohio State's going to be good, and I think Wisconsin's going to upset them in the Big Ten championship game. Um, and now I, I'm starting to—I'm starting to kind of hop on the Wisconsin bandwagon. I think they might run through the the Big Ten, especially in that division. All right, so you're still with Wisconsin, and I remember at the time I said that's a really great pick because I honestly hadn't even really heard much Wisconsin talk before you said it, so that was pretty good. Um, you know what? You finished up. You go. You go with your your next team. You're actually have you changed? Like yeah, yeah, this is this is new. Okay, you know what? Let's we'll we'll put a put a pause on you there then because I'll go with my fourth team and. I've I've evolved. I've you know, you have changed my mind. I am picking Wisconsin to make the playoff. I 
looking at their schedule, it's incredibly manageable, just like it was last year. Uh, based on you know my thoughts, I don't think Penn State's going to be as good as people were making it out to be. They got a road game at Penn State that looks to be next to the road game at Michigan. They're two toughest games, and they're 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 way apart from each other. It's not like they're doing back to backs. Wisconsin's schedule is incredibly manageable. Throw in the fact that Ohio State, all the things going on there now, is is just uh, it's toxic. And yeah, they're going to be talented, but you know it just doesn't. I don't like the karma of that. Stuff going on there. I'm going to jump on the Wisconsin bandwagon, and I bandwagon. I can't believe it. I'm going to go with the Badgers in the playoff, and uh, I, most credit goes to you for kind of making me look more into Wisconsin. So, my f- four teams in the playoff: Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, Wisconsin. Yeah, Lee. The more I look at it, the more sure I am about the Wisconsin pick. I, I, I think they're going to be a monster this year. I think it's finally their time. Um, Lee, my fourth, my fourth team, and it's a new one from you know a couple weeks ago: Georgia. I think Georgia's going to make it. I think we're going to have back-to-back years of two SEC teams. Um, I think they're going to be 12-0 and 0 going to the SEC championship game, and they're going to lose to Alabama, and they're still going to get in. Oh, I hope Cause, not. Because Georgia's schedule is, for as easy as Alabama's in, Georgia's is 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 much, much easier. Oh, well, yeah, and they're playing in the East. It's going to be that way. The East is absolutely dreadful. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, one last uh, category, at least, um, and t- unless we have a different thing to talk about. And this one is going to be easy like it was last year, I assume, at least it is for me. National champion, Alabama. You pick Bama until they don't win, until Saban's gone. You got to go with Bama. And guess what? That was my rationale last season when we did this podcast. And look who won. Alabama won, and I, it was boring. I'm going to do it again because I just, I believe, you know, like I said last year, and we both said last season, you're trying too hard if you pick anybody other than Bama. Yeah, Alabama. Uh, most talented college football team in the country for the 10th consecutive season now, I think. Um, yeah, and like you said, um, picking anyone else, if you're picking anyone else at this juncture, uh, you're just trying to be different. Uh, it's it's very easy. Just pick Alabama. Oh, ho, ho, ho. So I, this is something that we talked about off air, I think, weeks ago, but I, just, I thought of it before we came on. Any other college football storylines that you've heard over the summer or as the season gets closer that you know maybe you've heard a media member say or you've you've uh, read articles from where you're like I where are they getting that I don't I don't understand that that's a ridiculous thought or take uh, anything out there that has caught your eye that you would like to comment on uh, as we end this show oh man I really wish that I would have known about that beforehand because that's a I, I like that that's a good take that's a that's a good little segment there. Well, it's a good question um, yeah I mean good, we, yeah good good question um no, like the only thing I can think about right now is I'm still just thinking back to Joey Galloway picking Baylor last year in the Big Twelve. Yeah. That's like that's all I can think about, which you know is silly, obviously, because it was literally a year ago. But the the idiocy of that just cannot be overlooked. I don't think. Didn't Joey Galloway make some other sort of ridiculous claim? I saw on Twitter his name come up. I don't know what he was talking about though. Um, oh yeah, I think I saw you know. It's, Speaking of another Eddie again, we mentioned Eddie already on the podcast, and and he likes to poke fun at Joey Galloway. I think Galloway said something uh, talking about the Ohio State stuff about, or maybe it was the Maryland stuff about like, uh, like head coaches don't hire trainers or something, or I, I don't. And basically, like there was like replies of like I can give you off the top of my head. People were saying like ten different instances of that happening of like, yes, they do, or I. I'm not 100% certain that that's what it was, like, oh, head coaches and hiring. But I just remember it was like 
the gist of it was like he said something and again that's like why is this guy be giving a platform to talk about college football um what about uh what about willie taggart at florida state him getting a lot of hype oh he's uh, he's a that's that was that was probably the worst hire of the offseason that's a terrible hire I mean, under 500 in his career as a head coach. And I think we're about to, to see Florida, Florida State. State go through some tough times. Yeah, I mean, luckily for Taggart, he's got a healthy DeAndre Francois coming back. And I guess he might be in a quarterback battle, too, with another player just because Francois is coming off an ACL. So maybe he's not 100%, things like that. I mean, Francois is a good player. So, I mean, it helps to have a, a really good quarterback that maybe could could cover up some blemishes that Florida State would otherwise have. Yeah, I just I I think the writing on the wall is there for Florida State right now. Clemson is taking over the AC or uh, over the ACC. Miami is going to start being the dominant program in Florida. I think under Mark Richt. I I just it's that that wasn't a good hire. Wasn't a good hire. I I'm 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 assuming their their thought process was you know I think Willie Taggart was at was at USF and I'm sure he's got a lot of he's got a lot of Florida connections in terms of recruiting. But I mean that guy's just just he just doesn't have the results at all. Mm Hmm. Mm-mm. How about a team like Michigan? Michigan's a very polarizing team. Um, I've heard uh, Barrett Slee, who's a college football writer, that uh, he, he's got some good stuff. Uh, he thinks Michigan is is not going to be anywhere near as good as maybe they're supposed to be. He, I think he predicted recently something like eight and four or something like that because he's not very high on Shea Patterson. Then you have a lot of people say, you know, Shea Patterson's going to be the answer. Finally, Michigan's going to break through. I, I don't know where I stand yet on the Wolverines, honestly. I. I haven't watched enough of Shea Patterson to to really have a strong strong opinion on him, whether or not he's that much better than the other guys they brought in, and he's going to be the the key to that that team uh, really making a run. I will say this about Michigan that I am kind of leaning towards is like, what's the constant? The constant has been Jim Harbaugh there, and Jim Harbaugh, and I've talked about it before on this podcast before. It's so bizarre to me that this is a guy that played quarterback in the NFL. And he's an offensive guy, but he cannot develop a quarterback at the college level. Yeah, Andrew Luck, but that seems like kind of like an outlier at this point, considering that uh, nobody at Michigan he's had has been any good. And the offense has been terrible. So I, it's so weird to me that this is an offensive guy, yet the offense at Michigan does not work out. So based off of that, I have a feeling that even if Shea Patterson is super talented, getting within that system at Michigan, maybe he will just be another average to bad Michigan quarterback and it won't matter and Michigan will be Michigan again this year I'm but at the same time I'm I'm just I haven't fully formed my opinion yet but I'm I'm leaning towards uh that latter thought do you have any thoughts on Michigan yeah I, I mean I think uh they're an interesting team they they were one of the teams that I I thought for maybe most undervalued team um and I only say that because I just I, I think they have the best defense in the Big Ten um so uh, that's very significant. Um, it, it's all going to come down to can can they move the ball better? Because they're they're certainly going to be able to get a lot of stops. Um, but yeah, it, it's been crazy how you know Jim Harbaugh has not been able to consistently put you know an offense on the field that is productive. And it makes me think if it ha- if it has to do with that pro style offense, I, I if it's just hard to find guys to run that offense now. Yeah, it, it looks like it is stuck and. Stuck in the '90s or something, it, you know, or even, like, even and, the '80s. And, and Wisconsin runs the same thing, but you know they've been doing it for decades. They they have a they have a very competent system that they recruit to and they that they follow very strictly. Um, yeah, I, it's just interesting. I, I mean, I don't know if that's true or not. It's just a. Uh, it makes me wonder because th- there's certainly been times, uh, you know, 
over the course of Harbaugh's tenure there, I'm thinking to myself, what, what are you doing? Spread guys out. Like, what are you doing? You're just, you don't, <laughs> you, you don't have the arm talent at quarterback to make some of these throws that you're asking him to make. And uh, just make it easier on your quarterback. It's, this is college football. There's a lot of not great players and a lot of not great uh, schematic minds on defense in college. My last storyline, That's it's not really a storyline. It's just more of a, I, I guess I don't know how to, how to classify this that I want to talk about that's annoying me is basically the thought, uh, the, the, the constant undervalue, undervaluing of Rodney Anderson at running back. You look at all these lists and preseason teams and, and Rodney Anderson's like buried behind all these random running backs. I mean, obviously you're going to get your Bryce Love, Jonathan Taylor, fine, but you're going to get these random running backs from like Boston college and Florida state. And even like Damian Harris from Alabama, who's a nice player, but it's like, the, the the constant undervaluing of Rodney Anderson is a really annoying and outlandish thought in the national media that I just don't understand. And it just shows that nobody really paid much attention to him last season, the last eight or nine games. And again, to beat a, beat a dead horse, he was the best running back in college football for the last eight or nine weeks of the year in 2017. And, and he's not really getting any sort of love at all. So yeah. that's something that's annoying to me. And also, you know, with all respect to Baker Mayfield, you know, along with Roquan Smith, was the best player on the field in the Rose Bowl. So, clearly. So, you know, I, I just... Um, and yeah, I, I, I share your frustrations there too, as Lee, or, you know, Lee, but I, I think it's a mental thing. People can't get past Baker Mayfield because, you know, he was... He, he dominated the team and he dominated the conversation. And that's, that's almost certainly where that's coming from. All right, that's all I have. I think uh, you good to go too, Grant? Yeah, I think that was a good show. All right. We're just days away now from Oklahoma football. We'll be back later on this week to give you a full prediction of the FAU game, which is this Saturday. Can't wait. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.